Hello and welcome to the London School of Theology podcast. You are listening to our weekly chapel service. In this week's episode, we have a guest speaker. London School of Theology. Forming disciples. Resourcing churches. Impacting society. So, I hope you're all doing well now that you've been prayed for um, by each other and by Emily. I just want to quickly introduce myself that you uh, know who's talking you, to you to today. And I thought I'll do this with a picture. Uh, what you see in the back is a picture of my family. Um, oh, well, here. One on. So the beautiful lady in the middle is my, is my wife. She's called Sabina. And her parents immigrated from Italy, uh, from Sicily, came to Germany and uh, lived there. And... Um, and so I married my wife, and we have three kids, Noelia, Talisa, and Josiah. Um, the little one always loves to be on pictures, as you can tell. It's like this forced smile on his face, um, you know, because once in a while he has to. And I'm really, really glad for my family because that's not the type of family I had when I was young. I grew up with my mother, um, and she was not a Christian, and my father I only got to know uh, when, he was, when I was 23. Um, because he was married already and, and the rest, you know, like you, you can imagine. But I had a grandmother, a little bit like Alison probably. Um, <laughs> my grandmother was absolutely on fire for Jesus. Um, she was 16 when she got pregnant during the Second World War. That was not a good time to be pregnant at 16 with, uh, without a husband. And, you know, like, uh, her, 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 uh, the man she was with, he ran away. She was sitting on a bench on a graveyard, and there were two nuns coming up to her and telling her about Jesus. She gave her life to the heart, uh, her heart to, to the Lord. And from that moment on, she really, she, she was an absolutely excited Jesus follower. A little bit religious. That's not true for you, Alison, but... <laughs> But my grandma, for example, she was wholeheartedly convinced that the, te- the television is from the devil. <laughs> so whenever she came to visit our house and my mom and I, we were watching something, she was there on the edge of the couch waiting for the fer- first bad word. And then she would get up uh, in, 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 in protest, would go into her room, she would go down on her knees, and then she would wail for our souls. And it was so loud that you could hear it through two closed doors. And I mean, come on, how, how can you enjoy watching TV if somebody's wailing for your soul just, uh, just two rooms uh, away from you? And then I remember I was a little boy, and we, work, we were working, uh, walking through, through, through the park and, you know, like feeding the ducks with breadcrumbs. And my grandma always had this handbag, and it was like an arsenal full of weapons. Um, she had a tract for every occasion. So no matter, you know, if it was a homeless person, there was the appropriate tract for him, for a rich person, for a woman, man. And so, so many times we were feeding the ducks, you know, like, and my grandmother said, come on, Gernot, we need to go over there. We need to talk to this man. I didn't know what was happening. And she would talk to that person and tell him about Jesus. Sometimes he would, she would take them home. And so when I was very, very young, I already realized, okay, talking to people about Jesus, that seems to be something really important. I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. It was just the impact I was receiving in my family. And so during my teenage years, I kind of had to find out, do I want to follow God? And, and my life was a mess. I had a girlfriend. It was a bad relationship. And, and, and then I just applied for a mission trip to the Philippines. 
Um, somebody told me about it. I, I, I had to fill out an application form. I'm sure you had to do that to come to LSD. And there were some very intimate questions. I thought, if I answer them honestly, they'll never take me. Mm -hmm. But they still took me. Big surprise. And, and those three weeks, they completely changed my life. And then I went to Bible school, <laughs> to a Bible college like you guys. Actually, originally, I just wanted to go for a year. But then, you know, after an initial crisis, and I was just sharing that with the two people I prayed with over there, I thought I was in heaven. I was surrounded by people who loved Jesus, and so many of them. You know, when I was a teenager, I went to a youth group, and it was eight girls and me. And at some point, you know, like, it was in the basement, a horrible room, and at some point I learned that as a, as a Christian young guy, I should only date a girl that's also a Christian. And I said, Lord, how in the world? You know, take a look around you. I know these eight girls since, since, since five years, and, and, and please help me out. I didn't know that there were Bible colleges with an open market and, uh, and, and you know, like people from other sides of the country and so on. It's, it was really a revelation to me. And, and then every week, Every week we had speakers, you know, like from somewhere around the world, and, and they would share what they, what they do for Jesus, you know. One was preaching the gospel in, in Asia 2000s, and others would, would, would plant, you know, inner city ministries for abandoned kids. And, and my problem was always, you know, like no matter who spoke, when that person was sharing with excitement, you know, how Jesus called him to that particular ministry, I thought, I'm going to do that too. And then the next week, somebody else spoke, and I thought, yeah, I'm going to do that. And that was my biggest problem. I wanted to do everything. And my prayer was just, God, please, you know, I'm here for one, two, three years, but please use my life. And I was so envious of those people who said, God spoke to me last night. I should go to this orphanage in Romania and work with those people. And I was so envious because I, I could not decide on what God wanted to do with my life. I only knew I want to preach the gospel. I like youth better than children mm -hmm. and something international. That's kind of what I knew. And so I had to leave Bible school eventually. It will come for you also and start life. And then in the meantime, I got married. I did my degree in, in, in America. And then my wife and I thought, okay, maybe we'll just start our own organization and we'll just go wherever God sends us and we take young people along. Because I, I had found that one quote by William Carey. I'm sure you know him, huh? He, he's kind of the guy who kicked off the modern missions movement. He was British, pioneer missionary to India uh, and much more. And he once said, you know, to know the will of God, we need an open Bible and an open map as simple as that. I like that, you know, because I, I tended to make it so complicated, you know, like what's God, what God's calling me to. And I thought an open Bible that tells me what I should do, preach the gospel, that's pretty clear. And then I need an open map so the whole world could be the place where God sends me. And so we started this organization doing outreach to all different kind of places, always taking young people along. And um, we called that organization Gospel Tribe back then. And the reason why we called it Gospel Tribe was I went to the Philippines when I was 19, and I met this lady working in the kitchen. She was a Filipina, 
and she was much older than I was. We couldn't really communicate because she didn't speak English and I didn't speak the local dialect, but she was so nice. And I felt like being around those people in the Philippines for just an hour, it felt like family. And I realized that's what the gospel does. You know, like if you believe in Jesus, you really belong to the same tribe. It doesn't matter the color of your skin or the language or the ethnicity, you belong to the same tribe. And I thought, oh yeah, we want to start an organization with lots of young people from different nations. We want to be about Jesus preaching the gospel. Gospel tribe is a good name. And so in the last 15, 16 years, um, we added a Bible and missions college, and we went to more than 40 nations with thousands of young people, uh, a lot, you know, like to South America, to the Middle East, and to Mallorca. And that's a little bit what I want to talk to you today about, um, and I'll just show you a short video, and then we'll get into the text, and I'll illustrate it with some examples from our outreaches. One day, my wife was saying to me, hey, we go to so many third world countries, why don't we organize a mission trip to Mallorca? I mean, come on, if God would say to you, go to Mallorca, you probably hear the call, huh? <laughs> that's where people go for vacation, that's where the sun is always shining, uh, wonderful place. And she said, well, but you know, if we go to Mallorca, the people will speak English and German. It's a Spanish island, but don't fool yourself. <laughs> it has one million people who live there and 15 million tourists annually, and they only speak English and German. Um, so it's actually, it's actually considered a German colony. We don't say that publicly. Please cut that out of the live stream. Um, so if we go there, people will speak English and German. There's going to be no language barrier, and people are definitely in need. You know, they might not be in need in the same way as in a third world country where people don't know what to eat or where to live, but people are really in need. You know, like they're really wasted. They're drunk, they're disappointed, they're disillusioned. I mean, come on, even if you're not a Christian, if your only concept of partying is going to a place and just be so drunk at 10 a.m. in the morning that you kind of make it through the day and do that for a whole week, you know, like even if you're a non-Christian, that's not probably the most favorite concept of vacation for most people. And so there are really needy people, she said, and, um, and why don't we just try it out and try to reach people in a place where they would never expect it? And so now I want to I wanna just mention or spell out the first principle that I love in this text um, in Romans 15, 17 to 21. And I'll start uh, with verse 20. We'll, we'll, just, we'll just make sure we work ourselves up. Um, look what Paul says here. He says... And thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named. And thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named. So the Apostle Paul is saying, I carry a passion in my heart to go to places where people have never heard the gospel, where they would never expect to hear the gospel, and that is my strategy. That is my primary call. That is what's really exciting me in my heart. I want to show you this picture together with a statement. Next slide, please. The first time we came to Mallorca, we were just 10 people wa walking up and down the party strip. Um, I thought, well, there's so many strip clubs here. I'll just go to one of the owners and ask if we can make an announcement in the club. 
You know, like people are hiding in the dark and it's full of discotheques and clubs and strip clubs and, and somehow we can reach the people outside, but how would it be if we could get inside, you know, like and talk to people there? And there was a security man standing there. He would not even let me pass. And he said, this place is hell and Satan rules here. And I thought, wow, what a statement. This place is hell and Satan rules here. And you know what? I, I probably think the man was right. You know, like if you go to the Balaman, that's the German equivalent to Magaluf, you have millions of people literally coming every summer. And the biggest discotheque, they, 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 um, they serve you beer for half an hour for free in the morning. So between 10 and 10.30, everybody's making sure they're 100% drunk. And then it'll just continue through the day. You know, like, if you go to certain places, you can really see people making out publicly, just at the beach, you know? It's not everywhere, but it happens. I remember the first time I, 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 I went there, and sorry if I, if I, if I mention those things in your, in your holy halls, but, but, um, <laughs> but there's this guy coming, inviting me at 4 o'clock to his club because there will be porno casting. And I, I didn't even know what that means, you know? Like, and, and, and I thought, what in the world is going on here? Maybe this man is right. But you know, whenever somebody says to me, and I feel like Paul was a little bit like that, and I hope that some of you, you sense the same passion. If somebody says to me, this is a place where Satan rules. There's no room for the gospel. There's no room for church. There's no room for Jesus. Something is steered in me where I say, really? <laughs> This is the place where I want to see how Jesus is becoming manifest. And so one of these first evenings, we didn't have any beach services yet, as you saw it on, on, uh, in, the, in, the, in the video, you know, like with, with equipment and a stage and all that. We were just walking up and down the strip. And I had honestly no idea how to approach people about Jesus. I was just there. I was completely in over my head. And I was walking down the beach and there was a group of 80 guys. I think they were a soccer club or a football club or whatever. And so because I didn't know what to say, I was asking this one guy, so what are you doing here? I mean, it's kind of the most stupid question you can ask somebody when he's on the, uh, in the party mile in, in Mallorca. And he said, well, what are we doing here? Of course, we're here to party. What are you doing here? And I said, well, if I, if I tell you, you won't believe me. We're here actually because we want to pray for people if they have any need. And he's looking at me like, like, like I'm an alien. And he said, like, can you repeat that, please? What are you doing here? Well, yeah, we're here, and we're asking people if they have any prayer requests, and we just want to pray for people. Suddenly he stops, and he yells to all the people around, you know, like to his whole 80-people soccer club. and says, hey, guys, come over here, come over here. Those guys, they're here to pray for people. And the first guy said, she needs prayer, she needs prayer. And the other guy said, what? And he said, please leave me alone. Like all the, the reactions, as you can imagine. But five people stuck with me while the others were going to the club, and they were saying, okay, come on, seriously now, what are you doing? And we had a conversation for hours. Mm. So I came home the first night, and I was kind of encouraged, and I says, ah, apparently Satan does not rule completely here. Mm -hmm. You know, what has grown out of this first encounter is that every year we are reaching 10,000 
of tourists mm. at the beach. The Spanish authorities have given us permission to set up a stage. At 9.30 and at 11 o'clock at night, we're having minimum 500 people every time when we do worship, when we give testimonies, when we give messages. Mm. We have people, they follow us into the ocean to be baptized. Mm. There are people giving their lives on their knees to Jesus. There are people we found last year in discotheques completely drunk and on drugs. They've given their life to the Lord. This year, they've been on our outreach team to evangelize with us we have we had this year we had at least eight national channels media channels covering the story the biggest newspapers reported about it god had opened so many doors the biggest discotheque at the strip they called the police every night because they said whenever you're doing your beach service we have 300 people less in the club and we're losing profit like, it started with 10 people walking up and down the mile for, for years. And now last year, we went with 170 people. Wow. And I think this is just a, a lie out of hell. There is no place where Jesus is not. There is no place where God doesn't want to establish his presence. We're just, we're just believing that crap. One more story I want to tell you. In Egypt, the biggest university, Muslim university in the world, Azhar University. Have you ever heard about that? So we were doing an outreach to, um, to, to Cairo. If you want to study in that university, by the way, you need to know the Quran off by heart. They will not let any non-Muslims touch the ground. And again, it was this, this is hardcore Muslim territory. That's like Mecca, academic Mecca. And we just said, well, let's try. And so we were standing at the entrance. The security guy said, no, no, you're not, you're Christians. You cannot come in. He asked us if we're Muslims. And then were some students, they were so mad that they wouldn't let us in because that's not good hospitality. So they said, well, we want to we wanna go in with these people. And we said, maybe we can ask in the secretary. Uh, in, in the, in the, do you say secretary? No, in the, in the administration building. And it was like, it was like 500 meters from from the entrance to the, to the administration building. And we took like 45 minutes to walk there, security personnel with us. And lots of students came, wanted to talk to us. And the security person got so nervous that he said, okay, you, we're gonna talk to the president now. And then they took us into the president's office of Azhar University, and he was sitting there, and, and he was saying, you cannot be in the university. I said, well, I'm in the most famous Muslim university in the world. I'm a teacher. I want to share with my students what it's like. It's such a historic place. Do you really want me to tell them that you kicked me out, and you, you're too afraid to show me around your buildings? And, and then he said, okay, you can go. Uh, you can, and then there was this guy whispering in his ear, no, he said, you cannot go. Okay, so eventually they escorted us back with, with lots and lots of students who were just interested in what's going on. And some of them said, hey, we want to meet you tonight and we want to find out what you're doing. To make it short, you know, we established a friendship with lots of students, some of the most conservative students you can imagine in the Islamic world. And in year by year, we're invited when we're in Cairo to their festivals, to their private family gatherings. They're sharing all the problems with us, you know, like how the father has two wives, all that intimate stuff, and, and how the mother is suffering. And it's simply because we did not accept that there are places where Jesus cannot be. And I think that's the passion that Paul had in his heart. And, and I wonder if some of you carry that same passion. Yesterday, I was talking to one of you 
And, and that person, Will, I, I'll just say it was Will. And Will said, and Will said, you know, like, I feel God's calling me to the UK. And he said, because there are so many places in Britain, and that's different than in the past, where people don't know the gospel, where they've never heard about it. And that's where I want to go. I think that is what Paul carried in his heart, this desire to preach the gospel where it was never preached. And maybe that's a first hint for your calling. Maybe God is not giving you a detailed map where to go, but he's kind of, he's kind of, um, um, oh, I'm German. Those are the moments I realize it. Um, he's aligning your compass, you know, like he's, he's giving you a direction, not an exact map, but a direction. And, um, and maybe it's just you carry that in your heart, preach the gospel where it was never preached. Okay, let's look at a second thing. Here it says this. Um, the obedience of the Gentiles. So you guys know that. You're Bible college students. So there are Jews, there are Gentiles. And Paul saw himself as the apostle to the Gentiles. We are Gentiles here. And the way he ministered to them was by word and deed in the power of signs and wonders in the power of the Spirit. The way he ministered to them was by word and deed in the power of signs and wonders in the power of the Spirit. I would say that's a pretty holistic description of what gospel ministry should be like. Let me say something to you about the, the thing with signs and wonders. Um, when I was 18, my grandma died of cancer. Many people prayed for her, but she wasn't healed. About half a year later, my uncle died of heroin. When he was a young man, he went to India, got addicted to drugs, and never really got off it. And then, I think it was not more than two years later, my mother had cancer. And there was this battle of two years, you know, praying for her that God would heal her. And I was in a very charismatic Bible school. I don't know how you, what background you come from, but, but a very charismatic Bible school where, where, you know, people believed in healing. Um, and that's why we prayed for healing. But the tension in my heart grew every day because I, I saw the condition of my mother, I saw what we were praying for, and it did not align, you know? And eventually she died. And so in that moment, I realized I need to make a decision what role are miracles, the belief in miracles, the belief in signs, what role is that going to play in my ministry? I was a student at university in my town, and we were able to do internships in, in, in other countries. And back then, there was a revival going on in Colombia, Cali, Colombia. They had a huge truck problem. Um, there were basically two truck lords in two Colombian cities. They were battling each other. And it gotten so bad that the whole city had gotten together in the stadium, and they prayed together, said, we cannot afford to live in disunity anymore. And, and because I knew that was going on, I did um, an internship in Colombia, taught German and English in a, in a German college. And then I got to know people that found Jesus in jail, and they were in the US for smuggling drugs. And, and so they served as translators in Colombia for speakers that would come in from, from outside. And so one of these guys, he asked me if I would like to preach in churches. 
And so, um, so I said yes. I was only 22, just finished Bible school and did this other degree. And so he brought me to all different type of churches, and always I was supposed to preach the gospel and pray for the sick. And I remember, you know, like there were people there in, in, in wheelchairs, and they were coming up front, and, and I was supposed to pray for them. I remember I was in Egypt back then, and I called Graham, because Graham believes in miracles. And so I said, Graham, I'm preaching here in Egypt, and every night they're taking me into houses, and there are people half dead on their beds, and they expect me to pray and them to be healed. What should I do? Graham, they bring me handkerchiefs, and I should pray over handkerchiefs and T-shirts that if they put it on people, that people would be healed. I felt completely overwhelmed. I was standing there in Colombia. What am I going to do with this man in the wheelchair? You know, and then same situation as with my mother. There were moments when people said, yeah, I'm healed. I experienced God's power. But then there were other times where this, those same people with tears in their eyes, you know, where they would, where they would just be brought back to their, to their seats. And, and it broke my heart. And I realized in those moments, I had to make a decision and say, God, I don't understand it why my grandma died. I don't understand why my mother died. I don't understand why, why you don't heal some of these people. Sometimes apparently you do, other times not. I don't understand it. But I'm going to make a decision. I will continue to believe in a God of miracles. I will continue to pray. I'm not going to take responsibility for if it doesn't happen, just as much as I won't take responsibility if it happens. <laughs> and um, I'll continue to do that, God, and you need to do it. And you know, what we experience in Mallorca when it comes to that is really amazing. I just want to show you a couple of pictures. Um, this is what it looks like if we do one of the two services uh, in the evening at 9.30 and 11. Just hundreds of people around there. And you see the, see, you see the four symbols? Yeah. yeah, so by word and deed is what Paul says. So we make sure we preach the gospel. We don't moralize, but we preach the gospel. We preach about sin. We preach about salvation. We preach about anger. We preach about restored relationships. We are preaching the gospel. And you will not, if you haven't seen it, you will not believe it. People are standing there for half an hour, 45 minutes, and they take the message in. And some of them, they're sitting there, giving their lives to the Lord, crying that, that all the... The what? Snot. That all the snot is just dropping, <laughs> dropping on the ground. Then we have those Bibles. They're called party Bibles, festival Bibles. It's just a regular Bible with a different cover. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, like one of the accusations that people have made against us is one guy's coming back and saying, my friend, you gave him this Bible yesterday. There's nothing you can do with him anymore. He sits at the pool the whole day and reads the Bible. <laughs> That's, that's absolutely, absolutely insane. And I don't know why God is doing it, but there's a presence. And if you preach the gospel, it's like as if everything's faded out and people are there for an hour to listen. It's absolutely amazing. I want to show you the next picture. Um, oh, this is a little bit like what the people look like, you know, like close up. And I want to show you this next picture. So it says here, Paul preached the gospel with word and deed. So we proclaim the gospel. That's one thing. Deed. After we're done at the Balaman, the German zone, at 12 o'clock at night, every night there's an opportunity for 20 people to go to Magaluf, the British zone. And this is where you're going to enter the game later on. And then from 4 o'clock in the morning to 7 o'clock in the morning, 
those people, they, they walk the streets, they get those yellow vests, and they work, we work with a ministry that's called Street Angels, and I know it's, you have it here in Britain, you know, like helping people in the early hours to get home from the pub. And so basically in Magaluf, it's even worse, you know, like than the German zone. The, 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 the British zone compared to the German zone, I would say the, the German zone is like a Christian conference center compared to Magaluf. And so, so in Magaluf, you know, like, they walk the street and there are people, some girls are sexually harassed and they lost their friends and they're just sitting there crying. Others are drugged or on alcohol. And they do what angels do. They come alongside people, they find them on the street, they help them to find their hotel room. They get a little bracelet where it says, you've been met by an angel and with a contact number. Um, some of them are clear and you can talk to them. You take them to the police, you take them to the ambulance, whatever they need. And that is a, a work that is tremendously respected by the police. Because the police says, we cannot take care of all these people. Uh, we need to make sure that, that we keep crime under control. We can't take care of people who are just suffering. And so every night from four to seven, um, they're, they're helping the people there, and that's our form of, um, of diakony, you know, of, of really serving people very practically. One more, one more picture. Um, this is just what happens every night. Every night there are people who give their lives to the Lord. Here is one of the most amazing testimonies for me this year. There was this guy, and that's the connection with miracles. He was walking the street, and two of our team approached him and said, hey, um, is there anything we can pray for you? And he said, yeah, I, I, had, a, I had a knee surgery. My knee hurts. You, if you want, you can pray for that. So they prayed for the knee. I don't know if it was completely healed in that moment, but obviously he was so touched that he took one of the tracts uh, that we had. We, we wrote a Mallorca tract, you know, explaining the gospel in the context of Mallorca. He took it home, came next day, and he said, I read it last night, all of it. I, was, I just sat there for half an hour, and then I did what it says at the end of that booklet. You know, I gave my life to Jesus, so here I am. And then that evening, we were having baptisms. So he went with us into the ocean. He got baptized. Next evening, he was standing there and giving testimony, mm. you know, like of, of what God's done in his life. And not a guy, you know, like who used to be a Christian. Really, somebody had nothing to do with God. Why it's happening in the party zone? Why it's happening every year? Why is there such a craze of God on the place? I don't know. I cannot explain it. You know, some of the girls in our group, they said, well, there are enough people standing around the service so we can just walk streets. So they, they took a miracle chair. It's just a chair and a sign. It says miracle chair. So to attract some attention. So people can sit down, and if they need a miracle in their life, they pray for them. Um, tremendous things happen. Um, there's one girl. She was together with another girl, and she said, well, I think we should go over to this lady and ask her um, about her relationship to her mother. So they went there and said, hey, how's your relationship with your mother? The girl just broke down crying. And he said, well, my mother cheated on my, on my father. Now the family's disrupted. I don't know what to do. How did you know? Sharing the gospel with them. Others would say, okay, God, give us hints. You know, like, give us a name. Give us a T-shirt. Where do we meet the place? Where do we need the person? And they walked around, you know, like, and they found the Thomas with the red shirt at the place where they were. And... And, and that, that person completely perplexed and saying, how did you know that? And I was like, well, we feel God's spirit led us to you. And, and there, you know, like, is the moment where you can share the gospel. And, and, and 
It's not always like that, but tremendous things happen. And that is what Paul was sharing here. You know, he's saying it's through word and deed. It's through signs and miracles, and it is through the Spirit. You know, every morning we get together and we, we have an hour of worship, we have a teaching, and we pray for the day, and we invite the Holy Spirit really to saturate our hearts and to saturate the place. It has tremendous effect. I want to close with this last, with this last part. Um, so Paul is saying here, I have found reason in boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles. I wish that Paul would have had a teacher that would have corrected his grammar when he was in, when he was in high school. It's really hard to read his sentences sometimes. So basically what he's trying to say is, if there's one thing I boast in, then in the fact that God is using me um, as a priest, that those are the preceding verses, to the Gentiles, but that he's using my life, that people that are not part of the people of God, that they find Jesus, that they find him, and that they become obedient to the faith. And honestly, in my life, I find nothing more exciting and more fulfilling than if God uses me to lead somebody to Jesus. That's amazing. That's really the most amazing thing. And, and, and if I have a low in my relationship with God, if I get myself to talk to somebody about Jesus, it just boosts my faith. Yesterday, I was arriving at Stansted Airport, and your whole city is a mess at the moment, I think. The trains are on strike, or they're not, they're disrupted, the buses don't go, and we're standing there, and it would have taken hours to get a bus into London, and then this is the end of the world anyway here, um, um, where you are, Nor Norwood Hills or something, yeah, Northwood. So this endless journey, and so I just said, okay, there's got to be a different way. So I tried to find some people in line and said, hey, would you be up for... Uh, uh, forming a community and we'll just take a taxi and we'll, we'll go in together. And suddenly I found four people and the guy wanted 140 pounds to, uh, to, uh, to downtown London and we got him down to 80. So that was okay for all of us. And then suddenly I was sitting there with these complete strangers, one from Italy, one from Spain, and one from England, mm -hmm. sitting in the taxi, you know, like the cab, you know, like you're facing each other. And we knew we, now we've got like an hour to talk to each other, you know, it's like, and so uh, this lady next to me says, yeah, my name is Noelia. And I said, oh, my daughter's name is also Noelia. And she said, yeah, it means Christmas and I hate Christmas. <laughs> and I said, why do you hate Christmas? She said, well, it makes me feel nos nostalgic. And I said, oh, okay, that's it's interesting. Yeah, I've caught my daughter Noelia, and I love Christmas, but more for the reason what happened at Christmas. Oh, yeah, I like that too. And then, I, and then we shared a little bit. He said, well, I'm not too familiar with church and Christian ministry, but can you t explain this and that to me? And I was talking about you guys and Reach Mallorca because they're from Spain. You know, I left that taxi, and, and when I entered it, I was in a bad mood because I thought, oh, well, it's going to take me hours to get here, and I, I, I don't like to talk with strangers at the moment. But, but then, you know, like leaving the taxi, I felt like, ah. and this old British gentleman, you know, like, uh, he was also in the taxi, and he was, he was not saying much. So when we had left the taxi, he said, like, 
I'm also in the church. <laughs> God bless you for your talk tomorrow. I'm also a Christian. I thought it was cool, yeah? Let me tell you, let me tell you one last question here from, uh, one last story from, from Mallorca. There was this Afghan lady, Muslim, and she had taken her 14-year-old daughter to Mallorca for vacation. And they were sleeping in a hotel close to the party zone. And the first night, that mother took her daughter out to walk just a strip. And the daughter looked at her mom and she said, Mom, what a horrible place you've taken me to. And she did not want to leave her hotel room anymore. She didn't feel well at all. And the mother didn't know better because she didn't know where she actually had booked the hotel. And so third or fourth evening, you know, like the mother convinced her to go for another walk and they found us doing the beach service there. And they just gave their life to the Lord. And the next time they want, the next day they wanted to hang out with us. So they joined us in our free time, you know, when we're going to the beaches or hiking or whatever. They just wanted to hang out with us. We were their new family. And then they took their flight home. Next day they went to their church. And then they wrote us, I'm in a cell group now. And you know, like, there's nothing that boosts my faith yeah. more. You know, like, if you're preparing for a project like that, and if you're investing all the work and the thousands and thousands of euros and, 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 and the long nights and the little sleep, you, you, some, you ask yourself, okay, why am I doing this again? Mm. Oh, yeah, I'm doing it for that. Mm. Now, Magaluf, guys, our heart, our big, big heart is, will there be 50 people from the U.K.? that will say, we're going to join this outreach. We're going to pray and worship together in the morning. We're going to hear teachings together bilingually. We're going to, jo we're going to do the, 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 all the free time together. We're going to go to the beach together, swim together, do all the, the hikes and tours together. But then when the evening comes, let those Germans go to their German zone. We're going to look at it one night just to get an idea. But then we are going to make sure that in Magaluf, there's not just going to be street angels from 4 to 7 in the morning, but we're going to make sure that every evening during this outreach, there will be a presence of 50 people from the UK that are determined to reach their own people. That's what we're praying for. And guys, I've tried to connect in, in different places here in England, and I wasn't very successful. You're my only hope. You're my only hope. And then I, 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 I thought maybe there's even one or two youth leaders here or student leaders. I know that not a hundred of you are going to come, but, but maybe 10 are coming and, and you have groups of 20 you're responsible for and five of that group will come. Would you pray with me and would you believe with me that we can recruit 50 people from the UK to go to Magaluf every night? and share the gospel with people there. It's not going to be with a beach service. It's not going to be with a big amplification. It's going to start as it started in El Arenal, walking up and down the strip and just trying to find people to talk to. Last week, I was in Magaluf meeting in a beach bar with a guy named Josh. He goes to the local church that we work with there, Santa Ponza Community Church. And he said, I came here. He was part of 24-7 prayer. I came here because God called me here. 24-7 was planning to do a, a, a center here, but they've kind of changed plans, but I still felt I need to go here. 
And he lives there and he says, I am a missionary here and I will pray that more people will come. I'm here during the season. I'll talk to those people I get to know. I share Christ with them and I'm praying for more people to come. I'm not asking you to move to Mallorca. Mm -hmm. You can do that too if you like. But, but I'm asking you, would you consider to say, okay, we are going to make it happen. I have that passion in me to see the gospel preached where it should be preached but is not preached. I'm going to be the spearhead. I'm going to be the pioneer. I will stand in the gap and I will trust God that he will bring those people that Magaluf is being reached every evening, not just between 4 and 7 in the morning. And we will join you with Germans. I will join you. Um, we'll just ask God to give us a strategy. So, you know that you're supposed to obey the word of God. The last verse, listen to this. One more. Oh, yeah, this one. Mm -hmm. Do you know what it says in the Bible? <laughs> Whenever I go to Spain, <laughs> for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped by you on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. It's in the Bible. You need to go to Spain, you know? <laughs> so, guys, um, even if you don't, if you're not interested, I, need to, I think I need to finish now. Uh, even if you're not interested in going to Mallorca, I hope that this message can just um, encourage you, if you carry that in your heart, to preach the gospel where it's not been preached, go for it. Consider it part of your calling. Preach a holistic gospel, word, deed, don't exclude signs and miracles because you might have had disappointing experiences. Hey, and if you realize that nothing brings you more joy than seeing people being brought to Jesus and maturing in the faith, it's worth a calling to go for. They're not going to pay you well the next 40 years. Probably not. But it really, it makes up for a really fulfilled life. And if you want to make the first steps into the water, join us in Mallorca. Maybe start with joining us for lunch or at 4 o'clock. <laughs> Amen. Thank you for listening to the London School of Theology podcast. To find out more about LSD and our courses, please visit our website, 